and welcome to um, any visitors uh, to our church as well. Shall we pray again? Dear Father, thank you for your word which is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path in life. Impart its truth to us in our hearts and grant us wisdom and discernment to understand it. Thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. I'll be reading from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that, our God, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to all of you. Welcome again to TGCC for those who are here for the first time. Yeah, uh, at our new location. Here. Now, um, about 40 years ago, John Lennon, and I think many of us know John Lennon, uh, is of Beatles fame, uh, he had a dream. Uh, he imagined that one day there would be no religion in the world, and then humanity would not have to worry about heaven and hell. Well, Lennon's dream, uh, dream uh, lived on for some time among the atheists. They argued that as the world becomes more modernized, as people become more educated, uh, as science begins to explain more things, the world would become more secular and people would be less religious. Well, today, Lennon's dream is almost dead. Religion is here to stay and growing. Sociologists are now predicting an ever-increasingly religious world. And they have statistics to prove it. Africa and South America are reporting exponential growth in church attendance. The biggest surprise is China. It was once a country that tried hard to enforce no religion. But today, Christianity is spreading so fast that in another 10 years, it is projected that China will be the most populous Christian country, so-called Christian country. They will have more Christians than the USA. Now, this trend is, of course, very encouraging to us. We thank God for new believers in China as well as in many 
other countries. It shows that God is at work. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed making inroads in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. But at the same time, we may be rightly concerned about the different forms of Christianity, the different forms of Christianity that are spreading across all the nations. Now, some forms have the name Christian, but they are actually heretical. Others can be idolatrous, and yet others can be entertaining, but they do not produce the holiness, the godliness that is expected of Christians. And so we, are, we need to be discerning to know the true form of Christianity. We need to discern from the true form from the false ones, the false ones that do not produce godliness, that do not produce um, uh, holiness. So how can we tell? How can we tell if we have the true religion, the true religion that produces holiness and godliness? So this is where James will tell us. In the passage read to us this morning, James gives us three criteria of, the, of true religion. And if we practice the true religion, it will produce in us the holy life that is expected of all Christians, since we are the first fruits of the new creation. <clears throat> so the, the first criteria is, that is this. It is not violent. All right. Okay. Right. Listen to what James says in verse 19. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, James is reminding us of the conventional wisdom taught in the book of Proverbs. We display wisdom more by listening than by talking. Now, even a fool is considered wise if he keeps his mouth shut. So it is always wise to first listen carefully to what others are saying before we speak. Otherwise, if all of us talk at the same time, no one will be listening. We will misunderstand one another, and this may very quickly lead to outburst of anger. And so James cautions us to be slow in anger. Why? Because James says human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now James is not saying that we cannot be angry at all. There is, we know, there is a righteous anger that we can exhibit, like the kind of anger that Jesus displayed at the money changers in the temple. This is what we call the righteous anger, um, and we should be angry at sin. We should be angry at injustice. But because our human anger is often mixed with other motives, like uh, the need for self-justification, 
the need for revenge. So human anger is often mixed. So uh, we, we have to be slow to become angry. And James is actually uh, saying the same thing what Paul tells us. And many of us will know this from Paul's the teaching. He says, uh, in your anger, do not, be, uh, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger or while you are still angry. So keep it short. And here James is saying, well, be slow to get angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So what James is saying is this. Human anger does not produce the behavior that is pleasing to God. And this is important for us Christians because we want always to please God in our lives, don't we? And there are three reasons why anger should not, would not please God. One is that Christians are people who have been spared God's wrath. And so it is inappropriate for Christians to get angry at other people. Two, uh, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount warns us that whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And three, when we give in to anger, it may lead us to commit violence and even murder. And what is more, anger can lead us to, uh, to, to inflammatory speeches that will incite uh, hostility. And we are all familiar with the angry speeches of leaders who stir up mob violence or even cause a nation to go to war. And if we look at history, history is filled with many wars fought in the name of God. And we regret this kind of violence that had been committed under the pretext of spreading the true religion. You see, true religion is never violent because harboring anger can never please God. Our anger basically betrays our sinful and discontented heart. And a sinful heart, Jesus says, will spew out all kinds of immorality, all kinds of injustice and evil deeds. And James therefore gives us this command in verse 21. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word implanted in you which can save you. So James is using an imagery of garments that we wear. He tells us to change our garment. We are to take off the old sinful nature, the old sinful heart with its sinful desires. That is the source of the moral filth, the source of evil and the source of anger. And we are to put on the, newly, the new godly desires. Put off the old sinful desires. Put on the, the new godly desire which comes with the word of truth, which is the gospel that God has implanted in our hearts when he gave us the gift of new birth. So it is the gospel in our heart that will help us control all our immoral impulses, 
all our lustful impulses, and including the angry outburst and all kinds of evil acts. So God has given us this implanted gospel, his word in our hearts, to control the immoral desires, including anger. And James says that this implanted gospel can save us too. And this brings us to the second criterion of true religion. True religion saves. It saves us from God's judgment. And the reason true religion can save us is because it is the work of God. God has implanted his word in our heart. You see, we, it, it is not our work. True religion is not our work. And salvation is not our work. We can never become religious to the point that we can earn our salvation. In fact, no one can earn favor with God by the works of the law. The people of God in the Old Testament tried but they keep failing to obey the law of God, uh, the law of God. This shows that the human heart is just rebellious. Each of us wants uh, to be our own boss, and we naturally resist coming under God's authority. But God, in His mercy, promised to do a new work for His people. The prophet Ezekiel foretold that one day God would put a new heart and he would put a new spirit in us. A new heart to replace the sinful heart. A new spirit to replace the rebellious spirit in his people so that they would obey his commands. And Ezekiel's prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus died and rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to everyone who believes in his name. And the Holy Spirit will create the new spirit and a new heart in each believer. So this is how the gospel, the implanted word, saves us. But the implanted word can save us only if we humbly accept it. What does James mean? Well, James is saying this. If you are proud, you will not be saved. Not because the gospel is, is powerless. You will not be saved because you think you don't need God's help. You see, if you are proud, the proud, in their pride, they want to work out their own salvation. They want to be righteous on their own terms. They want to be righteous with their own efforts. But the proud will never succeed. They will not be saved. On the other hand, the humble recognize that they cannot be righteous on their own. They know they cannot save themselves. 
So the humble will acknowledge they are sinful and they will confess their failures to God and they gladly receive the help that God has extended to them. And so they accept God's implanted word and they will be saved. Now the word accept implies doing. That means it is not enough to believe in our head what the gospel is all about. We must do what the gospel tells us to do. In other words, we must also live out the gospel. It is no use just knowing in our head what the gospel is. We must also live out the gospel. You see, the gospel is God's power that brings us salvation. But we will experience God's saving power only when we allow God's word to shape our desires and transform our lives. If we do not practice what God tells us to do, our heart's desires will not be changed. Our lives will remain the same. And we deceive ourselves and we don't get the benefits of the true religion and we will not be saved. And sadly, this is the situation with many cultural Christians. They are Christians because they have been born into a Christian family. Uh, they go to church, uh, they hear the gospel, but they don't practice what they say they believe. So the gospel makes little difference to their lives. They think they are right with God, but they are really not. So they are deceived. And so James says in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Yes, we must do what the, God, uh, what the word of God says. <clears throat> but this is also our problem, isn't it? We who claim to be born again, we also struggle to do what Jesus tells us to do, don't we? You see, our Christian lives are often characterized more by not doing the sinful stuff. Yes, we don't steal, we don't murder, we don't uh, uh, commit adultery. And this is good. But how often do we actively do we actively live out the positive commands of the gospel? How many times have we really seek out to love our neighbors? How regular are we at reading God's word as an indication of our love for him? How faithful are we in prayer? And when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone. You see, we, we may have all this head knowledge, lots of knowledge, but we have a problem translating this knowledge into actions. If we merely listen to God's word, but we won't allow it to transform our habits and our behavior, and to change our desires, we are deceiving ourselves. We are not true believers. But this is not what we are. 
we say we are true believers. So James says if we say we are true believers, he wants us to pay attention to what the gospel says. He wants us to study God's word diligently, meditate on it, ponder its meaning, and then apply it to our lives. Application is often very difficult, isn't it? Now, you may have learned of the recent tragedy involving the Abdallah's family in New South Wales. Danny and Leila Abdallah lost three of their six children when a drunken driver mounted a curb and plowed into them as they and four other children were on their way to get some ice cream. Now, because of their faith in Jesus, and because they know that God's word tells them to forgive as God has forgiven them, the grieving parents struggled not to hate the driver. And they want to do what the gospel tells them to do. And so they are asking family, they're asking their friends, and even the press to hold them accountable that they would forgive the driver. What a great witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? And it encourages us, all of us, to do the same. We must be doers of God's word, no matter how hard it is. We must be doers of God's word, not just listeners. Now, James likens those who are non-doers of God's word as someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then goes away, forgetting what he looks like. Now, we all look in the mirror every day for an extended period of time, don't we? And we don't forget to brush our hair, and we don't forget to smarten our appearance. Yet, we often forget to do the positive actions that God's word tells us to do. Why is that? Why do we always forget to do the positive things? Well, one reason I believe is that we are not grateful. We are not grateful enough. We are not truly grateful to God for what he has done for us in Christ. We think it is God's job to save us. So it is not a big deal for God to save us by grace through faith. Friends, if only we knew how much it cost God to give his only son as a ransom for us. If only we knew how much Jesus willingly suffered to be made sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. If only we knew then we will grasp how wide and long and high is the love of Christ for us and how deep is the love of the Father for us. And if we truly appreciate that God and Jesus did not spare anything to save us, we cannot be anything but grateful infinitely grateful to Jesus and to God, forever grateful. 
And when we are forever grateful to God, we will never forget what we have heard. We will put into practice what we believe. And we will want to please God in all that we do. And if we do that, James says that we will be blessed. And James is thinking of the blessing of eternal life that God has promised those who love us, uh, those who love him. So, brothers and sisters, be doers of God's word. Only then are we practicing the true religion. And the true religion will save us. Now, the third criterion of true religion is this. It will produce a lifestyle of obedience to God. And this lifestyle has at least three characteristics. First, it, controls, it has control over our tongue. And verse 26 reads, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So again, here James is using an imagery, an imagery of the harness that a rider puts over his horse, his horse's head to control the horse. So true religion, if we practice it rightly, will exert control over our speech. And if a Christian claims to have the genuine article, they will show it by being careful in what they say. But if they gossip, if they slander others, if they deliberately hurt or stir up division by their words, then they are deceiving themselves. Their religion is worthless. This does not mean that Christianity is worthless. No, it, it means that their practice of Christianity is wrong. Their practice of Christianity is of no value because it is not producing the holiness that true religion will produce. So again, let us be careful of how we talk, how we speak. Let our words be encouraging to build up rather than to tear others down. Now, a second characteristic of the lifestyle of obedience to God is the willingness to care for orphans and widows. Uh, James says in verse 27, religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, in the ancient world, women are not financially independent. Uh, women are very dependent on their husbands, and when their husbands uh, pass away, the women becomes uh, become uh, helpless to provide for themselves. So likewise, orphans without their parents to meet their needs are also vulnerable. And so the Old Testament describes God as a father to the fatherless and the defender of widows. We read that in Psalms uh, 68, verse 5. And so God commands his people to look after the fatherless and the widow. So it is a special requirement of the Israelites to imitate God's care for the vulnerable people in their midst. And so today, we too are to imitate God. If we claim to have 
true religion, and if we want to practice it without fault, then we must give aid to the vulnerable and the powerless in our society. We are to fulfill our obligation to care not only for the orphans and widows, but also for the refugees, the poor, the handicapped, and the homeless. And if we turn a deaf ear to the cry of those who are in distress, we can be sure that God will not be pleased. God will in fact refuse the worship we offer him, just as he rejected the worship uh, Israel offered during the prophet Isaiah's time. Because the, during Isaiah's time, the Israelites did nothing to help the fatherless and the widow. And so as a church, we want to be aware of the social needs around us. And one of the needs that we identified when we were at a previous church uh, is the loneliness, we, uh, loneliness that, uh, that is experienced by residents in aged care homes. And so there is talk among the committee here uh, to explore the possibility of resuming this ministry to the lonely. You see, we want to look after the elderly in their loneliness as an expression of true religion <clears throat> in obedience to God. And we may think of other things to, to uh, help other people in need. So if you have any ideas and any suggestions, please uh, feedback to us. Now, a third mark of lifestyle of obedience to God is this. It is not polluted by the world. Now, the world here refers to the ungodly worldview and the ungodly lifestyle that characterizes human behavior in rebellion against God. And this world is driven by two passions. One, the passion for pleasure. And so you can see in, this world, in the world today, there is a relentless pursuit of pleasure in recreation, in sports, in food, and in sex. Now, the second worldly passion is the greed for possessions. There is that constant drive to get more, more than we ever need. More money, more clothing, bigger properties, and whatever we can get to have security in this life. Do we follow the passions of this world? No, James says. As first fruits, as people set apart for holy living, we must take care not to be influenced by the world's values and the world's passions. And we know that this world's uh, worldly influence often comes through the in entertainment industry. It comes through, through the movies, TV programs, and the social media. And so we have to keep ourselves from being polluted by these influences. The less time we spend time on the less we spend time on the screen, the less likely we will be polluted. So a good test for you that if you spend more time on the screen than on your Bible, you've got to 
do something about that. Now, at the same time, we want to, be re we want to remind ourselves that Jesus has warned us that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So as people who practice the true religion, we will do well not to be tempted by greed. We will do well not to be tempted by covetousness. And so we don't need to pursue wealth. Instead, we want to be generous. We want to be known as God's holy people who give freely to save the lost and care for the poor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the gospel is your power that brings salvation to everyone who believes in your Son, Jesus Christ. Please help us by the power of your Spirit to live out the gospel and transform our heart's desire for godly things and not for worldly things. And fill us with compassion for those who are in need. And we pray that, Lord, we will do what you tell us to do, to care for them in their distress. And please grant us your grace in our time of trials. And may we continue to testify to your goodness in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.